Our scripture today, if, if you wanted to follow along, comes from Acts chapter 11. Acts 11, and we're going to read verses 1 through 18 here today. Acts 11, 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the brethren were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with them, saying, You went to an uncircumcised man and ate with them. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came down right to me. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times. And everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in the house, saying, and saying, send to Joppa, And have Simon, who is also called called Peter, brought here, and he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all of your household. And as, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus, who was I to say that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. The question that, that is on the church's mind here in the first century, so we are only uh, 11 chapters into Acts. The, the church is very young at this point, and, and the question that, that is on everybody's mind, it, is this thing on? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it wasn't as loud as I thought it should be. Uh, but the question that's on everybody's mind here in the church is, who belongs? Who should be in the church and who shouldn't be in the church? So this is the question that, that they're sort of asking themselves up to, I would say, about chapter 10. And at this point, the answer that they've had the entire time is the Jewish community who believes that Jesus Christ is God. That's the answer to their question. This is who belongs in the church, the, the worshiping Jewish community that believes that Jesus is God. Now, who would that entail? Well, that entails, first of all, those people that were born into the Jewish community. So when you're born into the Jewish community, you are baptized and you are circumcised, and then you are taught the covenant law to follow God. This would have been Peter, James, and John, all of the disciples, the people that we hear about being saved 
on the day of Pentecost, the numbers that are being added to the church daily, all of these people are the Jewish community. And, and for Peter and the apostles, this is, a, this is an answer to the prophets. This is an answer to prayer. This is what they understand to be God's will. And so when they ask the question, who belongs to this community, it's those who were born into the community or those who have converted into the Jewish community. And to convert into the Jewish community, you need to be baptized and you need to be circumcised and you need to begin to study the law in order to understand what God has for your life. And so for Peter and all of the believers, this is who God wants to save. And for them, you know, they're, they're kind of just walking through this. You know, it, 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 you know they're, they're not, what am I trying to say? They're not reading Rick Warren's purpose-driven life to try to figure out where the church should go next. They, they are sort of falling into this as the Holy Spirit is leading them. And so for them, they've already answered the question. Those who belong to the, the worshiping Christian community are the Jewish people that believe in Jesus. Well, then you have people that are obviously outside of the community, and this is what would have been called Gentiles or pagans. These are people that didn't care about Yahweh. They didn't care about the scriptures. They, di they didn't believe any of this stuff. They thought it was silly that the Jewish people were allowed to worship their God. They felt as if, though, they shouldn't even be living in the land. And so you have those people that are obviously outside of the community. But then you have some people that, that are sort of in between. And these are called God-fearers. This is what Cornelius would have been. Cornelius is a centurion. He's in charge of what's called the Italian cohort. It's a group of soldiers. He has a household with servants. He has a household of soldiers that he's in charge of. And what we know about him is that he sympathizes with the Jewish community. What we know is that he's heard about the law. He's heard about the covenant that God established with his people. He knows the God that the Jewish people worship, and he's interested. He, he, he probably listens to some of the teachings that they have, and he really wants to follow along. But he hasn't been baptized, and he hasn't been circumcised. And so technically, he is not within the community. He does not belong. But he worships Yahweh. He gives money to the temple. He gives money to, to the local Jewish communities. And he wants to belong, but he doesn't belong. And as far as the Jewish community is concerned, he is a Gentile. He has not been baptized. He has not been circumcised. He is not one of us. And so Peter, remember, he's not, you know, he's sort of falling into this. He causes a scandal because he ends up going to the house of Cornelius. He's not allowed to do that. Peter is a good, practicing Jewish man. He knows the law. He knows what he's allowed to do, and he knows what he's not allowed to do. And for sure, he is not allowed to go into the house of a Gentile and eat with them. Because if he were to do that, 
he would be considered unclean because this man, Cornelius, even though he gives money to the temple, even though he sympathizes with the Jewish people, and even though he wants to worship Yahweh, he has not been brought into the community properly, so he is unholy. Another way they called it is he is unclean. And so when Peter goes into his home and shares the gospel, this upsets the church. Because as far as the church is concerned, Peter has just broken one of the covenant laws that's been established. And, and as far as the church is concerned, this is the kind of law that's been established to protect us. This is something that I think is lost on us today. The early church, this first century church, being, being primarily or being 100% Jewish at this point, it is the racial, ethnic, and religious minority in its community. They are practicing a religion that many of their neighbors feel should be outlawed. And so they're looked down with contempt. They are a different ethnicity and a different race than anybody else there. And on top of it, all of this brings into a culture that is so different from everybody else. And they are such a small community and so for this early church, when they hear that one of their own went into the house of a pagan, they're concerned. Not only is this a pagan, this is a pagan that is in charge of an army. This is a pagan that is in charge of an army that if he wanted to, he could claim that the Christian community is causing a stir and he could march right in and arrest all of them. And so when the church hears that Peter has not only risked his own life, he's risked his holiness by going into this pagan's house, he's also risked the livelihoods of, of everybody that's in this community. And so they confront Peter about it, and, and they essentially say, are you trying to get us killed? You just entered into the house of a pagan man. Not only do you have to go and do ceremonial washings, but now you've just risked our lives. What are you even thinking? And so Peter explains. And Peter says, that, <laughs> Peter almost says, listen, this was not my idea. I don't know if you've ever been there in your Christian life where somebody says, well, that wasn't a good idea. Hey, it wasn't mine. That, that, was, that was God's idea. I would have never thought of this. That's sort of how Peter responds because he says, listen, I, I was at the house of some brothers, and I went on top of the roof to pray, all right? So, <laughs> so I was being holy. I was praying. I didn't even want to go there. But Peter explains that God gave him a vision. So he gets, gives this explanation that God gave a vision when he was in his time of prayer. And in that vision, there was a sheet that came down, and this happened three times. A sheet came down that had all of these animals. And, and as you know, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were allowed to eat some animals, but they were forbidden to eat other animals. And if they even touched some other animals, they had to go through a ceremonial washing, and they, and they couldn't be around people for so many days, and they had to go through all of these rituals. And so when this vision shows these unclean animals come down that he's not allowed to eat, God says to Peter, get up and eat. Get up, kill these animals, and eat them. And, and Peter, probably in the first vision, thought, ah, this is a test. I know a test when I see one, because he says, Lord, nothing unclean has ever entered my mouth. I will not get up and eat. 
And then this happens two more times, and what God says with it, when Peter responds, I'm not going to eat these unclean animals, God responds, do not call unclean what I have made holy. And it's when Peter goes to, to Cornelius' house that he really understands that. But while this vision is happening, all of a sudden three men show up at the home and are looking for him. And these three men show up and, and they claim that, that Cornelius has sent them, that their master is looking to hear about this and what he heard in his prayer time is that he needs to send somebody for Simon, also called Peter, and he's going to share a word with them. So Peter gets a vision from God, and then he immediately gets this divine intervention. So it's not only affecting him. All of a sudden, somebody shows up and says, hey, our master heard from the Lord as well, and they need you to go speak with him. And so he gets up and goes. So he has a vision. He has divine intervention. And then finally what he has is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when Peter walks into the house, I mean, one of the things he says up front, this is in the previous chapter, chapter 10, he basically says, just to let you guys know, I'm not allowed to be here. Just to let you know, just by walking in your doorway, I've got to go through ceremonial washings. And the people that I go to church with, they're not going to like what they hear when they find out that I came in. But, but, since I know that God has called me and since I know God has called you, let me share with you what I know. And so Peter begins to teach to them the gospel. And quite possibly he gave him the same message. In fact, it's, it's almost... It's the same message you see throughout the book of Acts, which is the life of Jesus and how this is the fulfillment of the prophets and that the life of Jesus was given to us so that we could repent from our sins and be saved. And as Peter is saying this to a man that is obviously not in the Jewish community who maybe understands some of the law, but he's not been brought in fully, as Peter is saying this to him, the Holy Spirit enters the room and everybody there is filled with the presence of God and they begin to speak in tongues and they begin to demonstrate that they have received Jesus as their Savior. So just imagine what Peter is thinking right now. God saved you? Whoa, whoa, hold on a minute. Hold on. I understood the day of Pentecost. As crazy as that was, I understand that day because those were Jewish believers from all over uh, the nation came in. And when I spoke the message to them, well, they grew up with the prophets. They grew up with the law. And, and uh, Jesus, as their Messiah, was meant for them. But Peter is probably sitting there going, hold on a moment. You got saved? And then he remembers the words that Jesus told them. That John baptized with water, but I will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And Peter remembers Jesus' teachings were not just for one single community. They were meant for the entire world. And so when Peter gives this testimony to the believers, when he says, when he says well, this wasn't my idea, 
This was God's because he gave it to me in a vision. He confirmed it with divine intervention. He sent other people to confirm this vision. And then on top of it, I saw the Holy Spirit enter into the lives of these people. Who was I to stand in God's way? Obviously, God wanted to do what he wanted to do, and I wasn't going to stand in his way. And when the brethren hear about this, when, when the fellow believers hear of this testimony, they're quiet. They, <laughs> they don't know what to do. And, and who knew that, that one of the first problems the church would deal with is, oh man, what do we do with new converts? What do we do with people that actually want to hear this message? I, I never even thought this would be a problem. But they quiet down, and then they begin to glorify God. And what they realize is that God's plan was not just for one single community. God's plan was for the entire world. And they begin to glorify God and praise Him. So here's three truths that I believe we can get from this for our lives here today. The, the first is, God is going to save who he wants to save. Try not to stand in his way. God, want, God will save whoever he wants to save. And I don't know if you've ever been there where, where there is a person in your life that you're fairly convinced does not want to be saved. And, and you're fairly convinced that, that they're not going to be saved. And then you find out they're saved, and you don't know what to do with it. I know there's been people in my life that I find out they get saved, and I need some time to sort of wrap my brain around it. Like, you know, sort of like when Peter walks into Cornelius' home, you know, I've heard of some of my friends getting saved, and I go, Him? That guy tried to convince me to become an atheist in 11th grade. And you saved him? And I show up to a friend's wedding and the first thing he says to me is, greetings in the name of the Lord? Like, you, you read that? Or maybe there's a family member that, that you have animosity with and you think to yourself, well, I'm saved, but I don't know if that person will ever fully receive salvation. And then they come and, and they've received it, and you don't know what to do. What you need to understand is that God is going to save who he wants to save. And so there are going to be people in your life that might surprise you. Hopefully it's all for the better in your life that you understand that God's salvation is good, but you might need time to wrap your mind around it and pray about it and ask for God to speak to you about it. But here's some advice when you know that God is going to save somebody, don't stand in God's way. The second is, oftentimes as, as believers or as a church, we can sometimes look at ourselves and ask that question, well, who belongs in this community? And, and who belongs in this church? And, and how do we get more people into this church? And, and that's a fair question. That's a good question. But I think a better question that we could ask is, where is the Holy Spirit moving outside of this community that we need to go and speak to? Where is the Holy Spirit at where he's already working, 
where he's already witnessing to people that we didn't even think about. We need to go in that direction. So we need to ask the Holy Spirit, where are you in Eau Claire or Altoona or Chippewa Valley or any surrounding area in this community? Where are you working, God, that you would like to call me to work with you? And how we do this, I, I believe, is, is how it happened to Peter. The first is, seek a vision. Seek a word from the Lord. Now, remember, Peter wasn't actually seeking a vision. Peter was just praying. As far as Peter was concerned, this was his daily time alone with God. This was a time that he would go and, and pray to the Lord and and. and it wasn't any big plan. He wasn't trying to receive a vision, but it's where God gave him a vision. Which means if we ask the question, where is the Holy Spirit moving? God, show me where you want me to go. We need to have time alone with God. We need to set a time specifically every day where we're able to just sit with the Lord. And you don't have to say anything. And who knows, maybe God isn't going to say anything, but he's there. And listen to his words and listen to what he has to say. And God will lead you in the right direction as to where he's moving so you can be there. Forgot my last two points, excuse me. See, I use notes. Um, the second is, is to discern. And, and this is a part that I think is very important because if you notice, Peter received his vision, but he didn't get it at first. At first, he thought his vision was about something completely different. And then he sought a clarification from God. Now, how he did this was, was you know, he, he just sort of showed how he didn't understand it by saying, well, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. But... When you receive that vision, when you receive that calling, seek clarification from the Lord. And this might come from other believers, and this might come from other times of, 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 of your prayer time and your discernment time, but discern from God what it is he wants you to do. So, so seek his voice, seek a vision from him, ask him where he's working, and then when he tells you, have the discernment, seek to make sure you're understanding correctly so that you go into the right direction. And then finally, this is the most important part of all of it. Once you've received the vision, once you've discerned where it is God is leading, you must obey. You are bound by his word to go where he tells you to go. So as, as we sit here in, in Eau Claire County and as we're in the Chippewa Valley the question that I leave you with is, where is the Holy Spirit moving outside of this church and how can we be a part of that? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your leading in our lives and I thank you for, for where you're taking us. So we ask Holy Spirit, where are you in this community outside the doors of this church? Make it apparent to us, Lord. Make it apparent in our times of prayer. 
Make it apparent in, in our services. Make it apparent uh, even when we're not looking for it, Lord. Give us that vision. Give us that calling. Lord, give us that discernment. And finally, God, we pray that you would give us the strength for obedience. That we wouldn't be afraid to enter into somebody else's home. That we wouldn't be uh, discriminatory against anybody, but that we would have your heart and want to see all people saved. So, Lord, we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen.